They are so thankful they don't have to stay and hear me preach. Well, as we... Um, as we come out of the Thanksgiving holiday this week, I'm sure many of you have already begun preparation for the next holiday, which is Christmas, right? Um, it, it's funny because I've talked to many people about this, and um, I have a rule that you don't start listening to Christmas music until at least the day after Thanksgiving. Um, and this year, it seemed that nobody got that memo because <laughs> Christmas music began to play long before Thanksgiving um, and that's bothersome to me. <laughs> um, especially if you have a mother like mine who will keep the radio on nothing but Christmas music from the day after Thanksgiving until Christmas Day and you hear the same song sung 10 different ways um, by 20 different artists and it, it gets old. But nevertheless, um, people are in the spirit for the Christmas season. Instagram and Facebook were lit up this weekend um, with pictures of people preparing their homes, Christmas trees going up, people going out to cut down their Christmas trees, or in Texas going to Walmart to get one in a box. Um, but we have to because ours just die um, here. So this week I got to experience that for the first time. I was in Chicago for Christmas and got to actually go cut down a tree and, and pick a tree. So that was that was fun. But everybody begins decorating their homes for Christmas. And it is a season full of joy and music and people having parties and baking and cooking and all these things are going on. But Christmas means many different things to many different people. To some, it's simply a time of being with family and friends, exchanging gifts. To some, it means decorating trees and putting up lights to the point that some people get in contests over whose lights on their house are better, right? Um, attending parties. The most popular, probably of recent, is the ugly Christmas sweater party, right? Um, if you haven't been to one of those, that is why Goodwill has no ugly sweaters left. Some don't celebrate the season at all. Um, some choose not to celebrate Christmas, whether it's because of religious reasons or some other, they, they don't celebrate. But as Christians, we celebrate the birth of a baby. The birth of a baby. Now, it may seem odd that for centuries, people have celebrated one child's birthday. One child gets his birthday celebrated for centuries but when we understand what this baby would mean for the world, we begin to see why Christmas is so special and why this one child's birth would change the world. To see the significance of the Christ child, we must first look at the context in which his coming was foretold, which is all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. So if you would turn with me there this morning, we will begin in Genesis chapter 3. There are lots of passages on Christmas that are taught and, and preached through. But one of my favorite is where Christ was first told of. The one where he would come. The context in which his birth is prophesied is a very bleak and dark context. It's the context of the fall of humanity. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 we read, 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any tree, uh, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has come like, become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we are not left in the dark um, to know the truths that you would have us know. But God, you have given us your word, inspired it. Father, and, and now we can read the beginning of the story. And Father, we can read the end of the story of your redemption of humankind. God, I pray this morning that as we look at this text that you would open our eyes to see things we've never seen before. But God, most of all, that you would, by your spirit, help us to grow in our love for you and our knowledge of you so that we would worship you better and more fully with the way we live our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story begins... In Genesis 1, really, God created the heavens and the earth and he creates animals and trees and all the different things that we see around us. 
Then we have the creation of man. And man is different because man is made in the image of God. We are given the very image of God. There are things about us that reflect God and his character that the animals and the plants and the trees and all these things around us don't have. Man is the crowning glory of God's creation. And he puts man in the garden to cultivate it and keep it and to live in the presence of God. It was a perfect place. Man in perfect communion and fellowship with God. And then comes chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he came and approached the woman and he said, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree, of any tree in the garden? First notice Satan's question is one that puts a lot more restriction than God had actually given, right? Satan always comes to tempt us by offering a form of legalism, a lot more of don't do than what we get to do. See, God had given the man and the woman permission to eat of any tree in the garden that they choose. Of this perfect garden that God had planted for them to provide food and nourishment and all the things that they would need for life. There was one tree that they were forbidden to eat from, but Satan made it seem as though they get nothing. And look what Eve says. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now Eve adds her own um, restriction there by saying you can't touch it. God never said that. Um, Adam could have added that instruction when he gave it to Eve. Um, we know that God gave all the law to Adam first, um, before Eve was even created. So maybe Adam said, Hey, don't even touch it, right? <laughs> um, we're not to eat of that, but don't, don't, just don't go near it. Um, that, that'd probably be best. Um, but either way, we have this extra restriction that's been put on. The serpent said to the woman, You won't surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan lies to the woman and tells her, You're not going to die. God didn't mean he was going to kill you. He's worried because if you eat of this, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan offers Eve something that seems good. Understand that this seems good to Eve. That I would be like God. Being like God is, is a good thing. So she takes and she eats. She disobeys God. Not only that, but her husband who was with her takes and eats. And here in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, the script of humanity or the script of the world has been completely turned on its head. See, God had made the man, told him to have dominion over creation and over the animals. And he made the woman as a helper for the man. And so in God's perfect order, it was man, woman, animal. And now we have totally flipped the script in chapter 3. And we have the animal tempting the woman and the woman leading the man. So man's fall would reverse what God had set forth in the beginning. Following this passage in verse 1 through 7... 
we begin to see the effects of the fall beginning in verse 8. There are curses that are laid out that come with man's fall into sin. First in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the tree of the garden. Some people tend to read over this and not think of this as part of what has come from the fall. But it definitely is. For the first time, man fears God. And not in a healthy way, but they fear Him for punishment and wrath that would come. They run and they hide themselves. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. For the first time, there's strife between man and God. Before this, they had had perfect communion, perfect fellowship. When Adam and Eve heard God walking in the cool of the day, this literally means the wind of the day, God would come and fellowship with them. I'm certain that they, they ran to love Him and to fellowship with Him and to commune with Him. But this time when they hear Him after the fall, they run from Him and they hide themselves out of fear for what God might do because they've broken His one command. Not only did this bring fear of God, the sin that they committed brought war with one another. Look at verse 11. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So now not, not only are they fearing God and at war with God, they are at war with each other. Adam here throws his wife under the bus. <laughs> Alright? Starts to play the blame game. And since Adam and Eve, we all play the blame game. It's never my fault. It's never what I did. It's always what somebody else made me do. Right? And so Adam, God says... Adam, why have you eaten of this tree? That woman that you gave me. So not only is he blaming Eve, he's, he's also blaming God, right? Because he said, you gave me that woman and she made me do it, right? The devil made me do it, right? And so, so we have war with each other. Relationships are being broken. And then the woman's like, uh, that snake did it. He made me, Right? Um, and we still have people pleading that today, that the devil made me do it. God doesn't like that answer. And so he begins cursing everyone and everything. First he curses the serpent. And the Lord God said, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We won't spend a lot of time on that yet because we'll come back to that in just a second. But the serpent is cursed first. And notice he is cursed with eating the dust of the ground. The very same thing with which he tempted the woman to eat of the fruit of the tree. He is now being cursed himself to eat of the dust of the ground. And notice... It includes all the days of your life. 
He's saying, I'm not going to kill you and put you out of your misery now. I'm going to allow you to live in this cursed state. Then he goes on to the woman. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Pain is brought by the fall. Specifically in childbearing here. Then it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. This actually is the desire to have his Position is what Eve is cursed with. Eve is cursed with the desire to rule in the home, to have authority into the home, and to lead in the home. But God said that desire is never going to be fulfilled because the man is going to rule over you. So he gives the woman a desire that cannot be fulfilled and that will not be fulfilled. An unfulfilled desire. And we see the same desire in our nation today and in the world today. Women aspiring to take on the roles that God has set forth for man in Scripture. A woman to rule her own home. A woman to lead the church. A woman to do whatever the case may be. Women are fighting for authority in the home. Which was clearly what God had given to the man here in Genesis 3. And he shall rule over you. Unfulfilled desires. Verse 17, the ground is cursed. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of, it cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. The ground is cursed. Earth itself is being affected by the curse. Trees rot. The world is decaying because of the curse, because of the fall of man. Man's work is cursed. Curse is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Now understand this. Work was not a part of the curse. God created man to put in the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Work was a form of worship to God before the fall. But now it's not that. Now work is painful and toilsome. And now they don't get to rely on the beautiful things that God has created for them to eat. But now they have to work and sweat. And in pain they have to toil to get anything to sustain them. His work is cursed. But then lastly, and maybe worst of all, man is banished from the garden. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. At the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword and tur that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now they are kicked out of the presence of God. They are kicked out from the presence of God. They are banished from the garden now in a way this is an act of grace. If you notice what the Lord said, 
so that they won't take from the tree of life and eat of it and live for eternity in this sinful state. I'm going to kick them out of the garden so that they will now die. They will now die and will not live forever in this sinful state. But at the same time, it is a terrible thing to be pushed out of the presence of God. But there is hope given even in the midst of cursing. Even in the midst of all that has been wrought on humanity and on the world because of the fall, there is a glimmer of hope in verse 15. As he's cursing Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now some argue over whether the interpretation of this is just this natural hatred between humans and snakes, right? Like humans don't like snakes. <laughs> um, and if you do... There may or may not be something wrong with you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there are some people who do like snakes, and that's weird to me. <laughs> um, but this, this natural enmity between humans and snakes, right? Some would argue that it's just this general principle that's, that people aren't going to like snakes. But there's a special thing here because he goes into a singular, a singular noun. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It doesn't sound like he's talking about general humanity, right? It sounds like he's talking about one person, one specific man who will bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. This actually carries with it this word bruise in the first part, the idea of crushing his head, a death blow to the head of the serpent. Satan is crushed by this coming seed of the woman that is Jesus Christ. The hope that's given in the midst of the fall is the coming of someone who will rescue us from the curse. Adam and Eve understood this. When they give birth to Seth later on, they think this is the coming one. Every time someone gives birth to a man-child, they think this could be the one. This could be the one to crush the head of the serpent. But he doesn't come for centuries and when he does come, the nation of Israel rejects him. But we, by grace, now can look back and see that Christ was the one who was foretold in Genesis chapter 3, that he is the one who crushed the head of the serpent. And with it, he has begun to reverse the effects of the curse on humanity. Fear of God is crushed with the coming of Christ. Colossians 1, 21-23 says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before Him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Once you were alienated and hostile in mind because of your evil actions, but Christ has now reconciled 
reconciles you to God. This hope that comes in the midst of despair has now crushed fear between God and man. We no longer fear God because of, our, because of punishment for sin. Because in Christ, the wrath of God has been satisfied. We now no longer fear God. Not only that, but Jesus brings peace with others. He shall judge between the nations, Isaiah 2.4, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Jesus brings peace, whereas the fall brought war with one another and broken relationships. Jesus restores peace. Where the fall brought pain and childbearing, Jesus will do away with all pain. In Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Not only that, but with unfulfilled desires that were given in the fall, Christ will satisfy our desires. Psalm 37, 4, Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desire. All of our desires are satisfied in Christ. There is a longing for every human to have meaning and to have purpose. And many people will chase after many different things to give them meaning and purpose. But what they don't understand is their desires will never be fulfilled by a good career. Their desires will never be fulfilled by a nice family and good kids. A nice house. A certain societal status. None of those things can fulfill the desire that they have. Only Christ satisfies our desires. Creation was cursed with the fall of man. But creation will be redeemed at the coming of Christ. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption. Into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves have the spirit as the first fruits we also groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for adoption the redemption of our bodies because Christ has come and because Christ is coming again the creation will be restored it will be redeemed and right now it is eagerly awaiting the returning of Christ Man's work is no longer toil, but it is worship to God. Because we have Christ, we can now worship God with our work. And humanity, lastly, will be returned to the garden with the coming of Christ. Revelation 21 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. The one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Once again God will dwell with man and man will dwell in the presence of God. Genesis 3 is the first glimpse that we get of Christmas. A child is promised in Genesis 3 and it is looked for throughout history and in Christ we have the one who will crush the head of the serpent now as I read many of those passages of scripture many of you are thinking well that hasn't happened yet right I, I don't see nations like beating their swords to plowshares and people living at peace I see war and destruction there's no peace yet there's still pain. There's still tears. My work is still toil. Yes and no. See, there's an already and not yet when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because Christ has come, because He's died, He's buried and resurrected, these things are true. They haven't been fully realized yet, but these things are true. We have the end written for us in the scripture. And we know that all of these things, that the second coming of Christ, will finally be fulfilled. The curse will finally, once and for all, be lifted. But it's because of Christmas that we can celebrate the second coming of Christ because he came first as a man and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross taking the wrath of God on our behalf we have hope hope has come and just as in Adam all died in Christ many will be made to live eternally let's pray father we thank you for the hope that is found in Christ, God, even for this glimmer of hope that we see in Genesis 3. As you are cursing the ground, as you are cursing humanity, you give us hope that one is coming who will crush the head of the serpent. Father, we thank you for this season when we get to celebrate the coming of Christ. Father, that we recognize that he wasn't just a man, a good philosopher, a good moral teacher, but God, he was God in the flesh. And that he will reverse the curse that is on this world and on humanity. I pray, God, that if there are people here this morning who have not placed their faith in you, who do not know Jesus, Lord God, that they would turn in repentance and faith 
to the only one who can reverse all the effects that the fall of humanity has on us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.